Welcome to The Quad, CCB's sport podcast. I'm Simon Hill, Deputy Head at Christ College, and I'm delighted that you've joined us as we discuss all the latest sports news at the school. We'll cover global sporting issues and also spend time with invited guests, all of whom have specialisms or interest in the world of sport. This is The Quad. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 5 of The Quad and we're getting pretty good at this now and um, I'm pleased to say I'm joined by the usual crowd and I'm also very pleased to say that as of last week our podcast is now available on Spotify as well as YouTube. So The Quad is available on Spotify um, so please share it wide and, uh, and, and tune in and, um, and, and let us know and leave a review if, uh, if you do listen in. So I'm joined today by the usual crew um, and we're just going to do a quick roundup of, of how the sport's have gone this week. So, uh, everybody, tough week in sport, I'm sure. You've done lots of training, lots of games. How's it been? Uh, it's been, yeah, it's been okay. We've had a, we had a, a very rough fixture against uh, Landaff on Wednesday, which I'm sure we'll go on to. Uh, Saturday. Oh, yeah, Saturday, yeah. sorry. Yeah, and then uh, Wednesday was the cut match. That's right. That's called Bro Merivin. Merivin. But, yeah, it's been a, been a good week. Good. So, hockey-wise... Yeah, we had a really good game on Wednesday against Howells, where we scored seven now. Yes, bro. Season. Yeah. So we'll talk about that one in a bit now, and we'll see how uh, how that one went. Yeah. Good stuff. How have you guys got on this week, Jack? What have you been up to? There was the national cross country, which was good. There was lots of uh, Christ Cole runners there. It was down in Monmouth. Never raced there before. It was a nice course. It was on the floodplain by the river, so there's a lot of steady descending, and then with some sharp hills. So it was. Quite nice. What Although, was the terrain like? Was it, was, it, was it soft? Or yeah, I liked it. It was it was fairly soft. It was yeah soft underfoot, but it was a quick race. Talk to us about your cross-country nice. spikes in comparison to your track spikes. Well, yeah, I kind of fell foul of this, but it was definitely a day for the long, the long, sharp ones. Yeah. Um, definitely. Yeah. So, so how, talk us about how long are these spikes that we're talking about? Uh, There's a bit of a difference, isn't there? 12, 15 mil. Yeah, so they, they can look quite beautiful. Yeah. And uh, how, how did you, did you, as you said, you fell foul a little bit. Do you want yeah, to talk about well, it or you was a bit sore? <laughs> well, I was, it was two metres into the race and unfortunately the guy next to me accidentally stood on my foot. So, uh, yeah, it was a bit of a painful one. It was okay, I finished the race, but got to the end and the St. John's ambulance people were panicking. Concerned and, because your foot was red. You know, yeah, it was, well, my, the main thing I was worried about was, one, I was worried I had to miss training, which unfortunately I did, and secondly... My spikes are ruined. Today. So at least new pair of spikes. New pair of spikes. Yeah. Every, but every it was time. a good race overall. I was, yeah. It was good. Nice to see everyone doing well. Yeah, there was quite a few yeah. juniors for us as well, representing yeah. uh, Paris, which is brilliant. Um, I know that Cecily Mears and Anna Baharel in the juniors um, really enjoyed it, and uh, we had some good senior kind of placings as well. Didn't yeah, we? there was Ollie Obi and Joe Murphy who both did really well. Um, and Lisa. And Lisa. Yeah, yeah she did brilliant as well. Um, so. I know on the boys' side we were us three were part of the East Wales team who got bronze, so that was good. Fantastic, yeah, yeah. good result, and that just carried on, hasn't it, from the the fantastic kind of season the cross country have had yeah. since um, the beginning of the year. Brilliant. Um, okay, so let's talk a little bit more detail, lads, about that cross um, the quarter final against Brometh Merivin. I can never say that. Um, how, how did it go? Yeah, it was a good game to be fair. We um we knew that they weren't going to be uh, a very like. A uh, really strong side, like uh, the like Monmouth, for instance. So we rested uh, quite a few of our key players, like Owen Conker and Ewan Mack. And then obviously we had a few injuries, like obviously Dan Buff sitting next to me. But 
Yeah, it was a good game to be fair. It was a was it first captaincy for Harry Holden? Um, I think he had a couple captaincies last year, but I think it was the first this year with Matt Price as vice captain. So yeah, yeah it's, it's a really strong performance from Harry Holden, the captain. And he played really, really well, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, he did play very well. And yeah, ended up. Uh, I can't remember what the final score was off the top of my head. I think it became uh, like sixty points. Yeah, to yeah I think it was sixty points to twelve. Uh, very, yeah, it was a very strong performance. So yeah, we dominated. I think in that second half. And then, what does that mean for you? Moving forward, what was that? What was that game about, and where does that lead you? Well, it's uh, that was the quarter final of the national uh, schools and colleges cup. So we now have the uh, semi final uh, down in the Knoll in Neath against our well rivals Astillero, just best of us in the final last year. But That's it. So it's a bit of a grudge match. Yeah, going back down there. Yeah, for sure. Um, good stuff. And then how did uh, how did Saturday go? What what, what was uh, what was in store on Saturday? Oh, Saturday it was a bit of a revenge mission for the boys who were here last year. Um, bit of information about last year, we drew to them five five where we should have really beaten them. So mm-hmm. this year we were going for going for as many points as we could as it was a friendly as well. But it didn't enter, didn't end like that. Um, it was a, it was a tough match and they was, they they came yeah. really well prepared and. Um, and they made it very, very difficult for yeah. uh, Price College. I think, I think we played, we made an awful lot of mistakes. Yeah, I think it was just the... I don't think it was that we didn't have the structure. I think it was just those little mistakes where just dropping the ball, just when to kick, when not to kick. But we got the win in the end. And watching on the side, it was one of those, we were shouting at the boys. But There was a lot of Year 11 boys playing as well, yeah, which was, uh, which was great. Because obviously, planning for the future and, and looking ahead um, to next year... It's important they get that experience in these really, really tough matches. Good stuff. Um, girls, hockey, how's it gone? Uh, yeah, we had a really good game on Wednesday, like I said. Our team just, it worked really well together. We were speedy, yeah. our passes connected. Poppy yeah. scored four of the seven goals, so that was really good for me. Yeah. Um, so tell me why do you think, what, what, what is it about that game that connect, you made you connect so well? Is it a combination of training, putting into practice what you've been working on, was it ta- was it some different tactic, was it that you were really up for this game or, or what? Uh, I think we were initially really up for it because our game before that we had quite a tough game so we just wanted to have a, a good game to come from and then um, we just worked on making connections rather than like one man dribbling so because we made connections and ran it's hard for the opposition mm. to try and tackle you because the ball's going faster than you're running so and is that would you say that's been a development of your game yeah. over the last kind of three months or so that that kind of connection or that connecting passing has yeah, really uh, really developed your your team? How yeah. do you reckon? How was the game for you? Uh, it was actually really easy. I didn't have to do much in defence. Yeah. <laughs> I think Val touched the ball what three times. Tough for a goalkeeper then, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. it was that's a long tough, afternoon. No, it was good. I think the better thing with our performance is we didn't try to force it as much. Like in our previous game, I think we did start to slowly lose it bit by bit was because we were forcing a bit too much through our opposition but we played around them which helped us as they had to run a lot more mm-hmm. which meant they fatigued quite quickly good it sounds like it's kind of obviously it's a very tactical game hockey isn't it yeah. and tactics can play a huge part in whether or not you win or you lose it sounds like you're kind of really putting things together and, um, and putting some good results together as well so uh, sounds, yeah. sounds brilliant well done everybody okay so that kind of sums up um, the senior results the juniors um, in hockey went away to uh, Catherine Lady Berkeley, and um, that kind of rounded off a really good block fixture or a couple of block fixtures that we've had with them over uh, over the past um, couple of months. Um, so the under 15s and under 14s went away, and we, we won one and lost one there. Um, and then on Wednesday with the rugby, 
Um, the under 14s and 15s played quite a tough match against uh, Llandovery, who were really, really big. There were some big boys there. Um, wouldn't look that place in the, in our first team, uh, for sure. So they had a tough, tough kind of game against Llandovery. Um, and then on the weekend, we had a very great block fixture with um, Cathedral School. That was the junior hockey. Um, again, had a tough kind of couple of results against the uh, the girls there. Land of Cathedral School are uh, really strong down 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 the years below because of their, their large numbers. And um, our under fifteens just missed out to uh, to Land of Cathedral School as well. Um, I think the score was twenty four seventeen. I think very close for those year ten. So a really good turnaround in comparison to uh, to last year's performance there. So that kind of concludes last week's fixtures um, and, and what kind of went on and we'll talk about a little bit what's happening this week. I know lads you've got a cup, um, a cup semi-final against Estrela Vera um, so we'll talk a little bit about that in, in, um, in a few, few minutes or moments time um, but it moves us nicely on to our countdown and kind of rattle through them now. We've got to number five and number five on our countdown will not be uh, an unfamiliar name to anybody. Um, so number five in our countdown of uh, top sports men or women of all time is Muhammad Ali. And he'll be a hero to millions of people around the world. Uh, Muhammad Ali, very famous boxer, um, but not only a boxer, I think he's a role model and, um, and, and somebody who people hold in extremely high esteem for lots of different reasons. So we're going to find out a little bit more about who Muhammad Ali, Ali was and what impact he really had on the world of boxing, um, but the, the wider kind of world as well. So, um, Muhammad Ali, he was born in uh, Louisville in Kentucky. He died in 2016. So it seems quite kind of, um, I mean, like yesterday, but it's quite a long time since, um, since he's passed away. He's best known for his uh, world heavyweight champion of the world. Um, and his nickname was The Greatest. And I think there's lots of people who would agree that he was or The Greatest. Um, his birth name was Cassius Marcellus Clay. And he was born in um, Louisville, in Kentucky, in 1942. His father, Cassius Clay Sr., um, he was a sign painter, and his mother uh, worked as a maid. So he has come from tough, kind of a tough upbringing, a tough background. Um, he had a younger brother named Rudy, and the Clays weren't rich, but they weren't poor either. So, you know, he, he was he a was good kind of background, and he really had to strive for what, what he achieved. Um, I know that he started to box and the reason why he started to box was because he had his bike stolen he was getting bullied a little bit and pushed around a little bit and his bike was stolen and, and his, he went home and his dad said you've got to sort this out for yourself so he said okay i will and he went to a gym so i gotta look after myself i've got to be able to, to protect myself and um he started boxing and, and the rest is history in a way obviously a very very prolific boxer um he had a six very successful amateur career um, before he went professional. So, Belle, can you tell us a bit more about his, uh, his amateur statistics? Um, he fought 105, only losing five. Um, he also won several Gold Globe Championships and was soon considered one of the best amateur light heavyweight boxers in the world, which is really impressive. Um, in 1960, Cassius travelled to Rome uh, to participate in the Olympics. He defeated all his opponent, opponents to win the gold medal Upon returning home, Cassius was an American hero. He decided to turn professional boxer. Yeah, absolutely. And what um, a lot of people will remember, um, and I say a lot of people, like your parents' generation, and certainly my parents' generation, is that kind of like the, the, the way into professional boxing is, is through the Olympic route. And lots of 
heavyweight champions, a lot of middleweights and, and lightweights, they will have achieved Olympic success, Olympic silver, gold. They would, they would have kind of done their, um, their pre-professional era through and gone through the ranks at, uh, at Olympic level. So to win gold, it's kind of like the next step, really. If you win gold in the Olympics or you, you kind of do your Olympic journey, you, you, you are destined then to turn professional. Um, so he's quite a famous figure, not just for his boxing, however, and he became a political kind of figure to do with the Vietnam War. And, and, and there was a lot of kind of controversy surrounding him at that time. Who could tell me a little bit more about the Vietnam War and, uh, and how Cassius Clay or Muhammad Ali impacted there? Uh, well, due to religious reasons, in 1967, he refused to join the US military and fight in Vietnam. That then meant that he was arrested and stripped of his title, as well as the New York State Athletic Commission suspending his boxing license. This then led to him being convicted of draft evasion and sentenced to prison and then fined. But um, in 1970, he appealed his conviction and the New York State Supreme Court ordered that his boxing license was to be reinstated. And then they went on to overturn the entirety of Ali's conviction in 1971. What do you guys think of that? You know, like you've got a boxer or, a, you know, a professional athlete at his peak, really. And he's willing to then say, I'm going to stop. I'm going to make a stand here. I'm not willing to be drafted into the Vietnam War. Do you think, you know, did he make the right decision? Obviously, at that time, he was then um, cited for that. And he lost his license and, and was convicted. And and sentenced to prison. So what do you guys feel? Do you think he was right to make a stand? Yeah, I think he, um, I think he was definitely right to make a stand, but I think it's, it's, it's strange really that, uh, that like, obviously there was, would have been many, many people, especially in the Vietnam War, have been as ferocious as it was, that would have evicted, uh, sorry, that would have um, been drafted or had to be drafted. Yeah, that would have evaded the draft mm. uh, and then would have obviously gone to prison. Uh, and I think, I'm not sure whether it's it's not is that it's not fair, but it's just strange to me how obviously Ali can have all of his titles and his whole life given back to him just because he was as famous as he was. Whereas there was obviously lots of yeah, it's good. It's a very good point. I like that's one side of the coin, isn't it? Is to say that you know he made a stand, he went to prison, he was fined, um, but then you know years later he had everything kind of reinstated to him whereas lots of other people wouldn't have had what they had reinstated they wouldn't have got those things back but I think on the other side of that I think he, he was trying to make a very political point that you know a the Vietnam War was very unjust USA were struggling in that place and, and that time and I think that he wanted to turn around and and be that kind of figurehead to say what we're doing is really wrong and we're going to take a, I'm going to make a stand and I'm going to be that person who's going to take that kind of fall in a way um, and he did raise a lot of attention about it. If, you know, the heavyweight champion in the world is turning around and saying, I'm not going to go and fight or I'm not going to go and do this, then uh, that def definitely raises the, uh, the profile um, and the media. And, and as you say, Meg, it was turned, wasn't it? It was turned around and then a few yeah. years later and they reinstated all of his, um, all of his titles and, and, and his boxing license as well. Um, so he went on to win some really famous professional fights. Yeah, well, over his career, he won 56 out of the 60, 61 professional fights. And he defeated the like of Sonny Liston, George Foreman, Jerry Quarry, Joe Fraser. With each victory, he gained the popularity and solidified his reputation. So that consistency, really. And he, they, they were some mammoth 
yeah. matches as well. They, I, I watched a few of them back, and we're talking, these guys were huge. And he wasn't known for being the biggest bloke uh, or the biggest fighter, Muhammad Ali. He was very much known for his speed and his agility and his quickness. And he was facing some really, really big, big men and quite intimidating men as well. So they, they, these fights have gone down in history as, as some of the best of all time. Yeah, well, I think that speed and agility, he had the power then, didn't he? With 37 knockouts out of the 56 victories, which I think is pretty impressive. That's very good, isn't it? So, For sure. Um, did he lose, or his first pro loss? He experienced his first pro loss as a, as a pro in the fight of the century. After his licence was reinstated, Ali worked his way back to the heavyweight championship. On 8th of March 1971, he entered the ring against the undefeated Joe Fraser. Fraser would defend his championship title, beating Ali in the final round. The night was dubbed the fight of the century and landed Ali his first defeat as a professional boxer. He would go 10 more fights before losing again, and in six months' time, he, he even defeated Fraser in a non-title match. Yeah, that's a really kind of significant point in his career there. Um, and lots of people kind of thought, well, he's lost now. Can he get it back? Will he get it back? And he certainly did. And he went on then to, to kind of um, perform boxing in one of the most famous or the most famous uh, fight of, of the century, really. Yeah, I certainly agree with you that the Rumble in the Jungle was definitely, it sticks out in my mind as one of the most famous fights that's ever taken place. Yeah, I think realistically it is the definition of a super fight. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah it is just absolutely unreal. Uh, he went toe to toe with the undefeated champion. Uh, George Foreman in Kinshasa, Zaire, now the Democratic Republic of the Congo in 1974. Zaire's president at the time wanted positive publicity for the country and offered each of the fighters $5 million to fight in Africa. Uh, this would ensure the fight would be viewed by an American audience. It took place at 4am in the morning. Imagine that, That's having to go toe-to-toe -to -toe at 4 in the morning. Yeah, weird, weird. And I, I don't know if any of you have seen the, the film that was made about um, Muhammad Ali titled Ali and they, they portray that brilliantly and it is just an open air stadium and it is jam packed and it's the most crazy scene of, of all it's just really intimidating it was fantastic it was a celebration of, of, of everything that was was good about boxing and you're right I think the president really wanted just to kind of celebrate Africa and bring the two best boxers to Africa and, and really make a statement. And that's a lot of money back then, five million. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, just into inflation, that'd be a lot. Man. Absolutely. But yeah, in the fight, Ali won in eight rounds and he regained his heavyweight title after losing it seven years prior. He employed a new strategy against Foreman, leaning, leaning against the ropes to absorb the blows from Foreman until he was tired out. I personally think that this is what caused him to have this obviously the Parkinson's disease that he developed because well, if you look early in, into his career he had a very fast, uh, twitchy, agile um, uh, strategy where he obviously avoid most of the blows, very similar to how Floyd Mayweather used yeah. to fight when he was fighting but obviously when he absorbed this, when he got older, less agile. It was agile. brutal, yeah, it was it absolutely was brutal and I, I've watched the, film, uh, the, the fight on YouTube um, but I've also kind of watched the film as well and they, again they portray it very, very brilliantly it was brutal what he was up against um you know he was against the ropes just taking hits after hits after what was his strategy then why did he what, what was the, what was the point well he just wanted to make him tired out really uh obviously he i think he knew deep down that he didn't have that flair and that speed that he did when he was younger in his career so 
obviously he just absorbed this new strategy and it was working for him when he was fighting but obviously he faced the repercussions of that later yeah. in his life but interestingly enough actually uh, this is the very fight where very controversial I think uh, is the right word to use um, photo and punch was taken I think many of you will well, might know about the phantom punch as it's called where uh, Muhammad Ali hit George Foreman well hitting uh, brackets because it, it didn't look like he hit him but he fell but he did fall and he didn't get back up yeah absolutely and I think it's, it's kind of as you've alluded to already as well and I'm not sure the, the biology behind it all but Muhammad Ali um, suffered from Parkinson's from a really really early age and I wonder whether or not as you, as you allude to it it's, it's the, the big hits and it's the constant blows that, um, that kind of maybe would have, have led into that so Wanted to talk to me about um, you know Ali when he had Parkinson's and and, and uh, being diagnosed at forty two. Well, yeah, Ali retired from boxing in nineteen seventy nine. He briefly returned in nineteen eighty, but then he did retire for good in nineteen eighty one at age thirty nine. And then only three years later, he was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease after showing signs of slurred speech and slowness. So that was really sad. But I think his legacy definitely remains. For example, he was the first boxer to win the World Heavyweight title three times. That was when he beat Sonny Liston in 1964, George Foreman in 1974, and then Leon Spinks in 1978. And I think another reason why he just cements his place as one of the greatest of all time is he never, ever ducked a big fight. And I think we see nowadays, there's boxers, they may be scared of losing their legacy. There's a lot of emphasis on undefeated, which is fair enough. But also, you've got to fight the best. For example, with um, Tyson Fury and Anthony Joshua a few years ago, they seemed to be the best, the two best. They had to fight, they never did. And I think that could tarnish their legacies, whereas Ali, he never ducked the big fight. That's it, you take him as they come, as they say. Yeah. And um, he certainly did, and they were always willing to box the, the best boxers at that time. And I think that's what made heavyweight boxing quite attractive to everybody, is that they knew the two best boxers were going at it. Um, and yeah, I think that's a, a key point, isn't it? That, we don't necessarily really get that authenticity, do we? In this, no, it's all about the money. It is all about the money and the publicity and the marketing. Am I right in saying that he won the best athlete of the century? That's right. Yeah. So he, I think, um, on the BBC Sports Personality of the Year, I think they awarded him um, athlete of the century or, or or man of the century or sportsman of the century. Um, so I think it's probably quite quite right that he's coming to our top ten at least. Yeah. You know the fact, but. It's like with anything as well, isn't it? Over a period of years and years, people's, people will get forgotten about. But if you think that, you know, Ali died in 20, 2016, you know, he did his last fight back in the 70s, and he's still a prolific person in, in, um, in sporting history. I think, uh, you know, that, that kind of testimony to the fact that he, he will live on, I think. And I think, you know, generations to come will, will know of Muhammad Ali and, and how great he was. Right, okay, so Sports Watch, and lots going on in the world of sport, especially as the Football World Cup started yesterday in Qatar. Um, and I'm not sure if any of you will tune in and watch. I'm sure um, it'll be on in the background somewhere, and you will. I don't, I don't think there's any escaping um, the Football World Cup, is there? I know there's been a lot of uh, controversy around uh, this World Cup, lots of different reasons. Um, but I'm sure you'll, you'll, you'll kind of get absorbed into it as the tournament goes on. And, and last, uh, yesterday, sorry, Ecuador started against Qatar and, and they went 2-0. Um, England today got their kind of campaign off earlier. 
Uh, I know the really kind of comfortable win against Iran. Uh, they won 6-2. And Wales. They start their campaign this evening against the USA. And um, the team is as expected. I think the only absentee that, that would be in there would be Joe Allen. Um, and uh, he'll be a big miss. But I know they would have prepared for that because I know he wasn't 100% fit going to the World Cup. So... Um, they're, they're hoping they progress and he can play a part in that. So I think that they're kind of as good as they could be. Um, and um, I know all eyes on, uh, on the match this evening. How do we think they're going to get off then? Oh, well, I reckon it'll be a Wales win. Um, I reckon it'll be 2-1 to Wales. But I don't think you know, the US are, well, I don't know, a no, small team. Yeah, they're, I'm, I'm, they're coming up through the ranks now with players coming into the Premier League. I've got Pulisic. Mm-hmm. I reckon they will be a good team in this tournament. So it's going to be a tough, tough start. Yeah, they have yeah. got a tough start. Yeah, I reckon if it was a run earlier, I reckon it would be a better, comfortable game. Mm-hmm. But it's not the way it's gone. But I reckon Wales can do it. Arguably, though, you're looking for a good start, and you know you want to have a, that tough match. If they can, if they can get over this hurdle now, I think, um, I think then you know they're on a really good trajectory to oh, qualify. Yeah, hundred percent. I think if Wales win today they have an amazing chance of qualifying at the group stage. And that would be an amazing achievement if you look at the populations. And yeah, second, absolutely. smallest, over so to Qatar. We're, we're, we'll talk about that, actually, while we've got that here. We are the smallest country to have qualified for the World Cup. So Qatar have a less population um, than us, and around about 2 million. Wales is, is, is around about 3. Um, so we're the smallest by, by a long way to have qualified. So, as you said, Jack, qualifying and getting out of the group think um, I think if they could do that you know that would really be an excellent kind of achievement put Wales on the map for sure. Girls how about you are you going to watch some football? Well the England game was all over centre today so you can really escape it. Yeah it's quite <laughs> hard not to watch to be honest. Yeah, yeah that's I'm good. I'm going to watch the Wales game tonight I think. Brilliant yeah I think it's about that isn't it getting involved as I said it'll be very tricky to escape. Yeah. It'll be on everywhere and it'll be on all the internet all the kind of news um, and especially because there's two home nations, I guess, England and Wales playing. Um, it'll be kind of double the publicity, if you like. So uh, we, won't, we won't be able to escape it. Right, so rugby. There were some results of rugby on the weekend, and not just Christ College, but with the, uh, the conclusion of the international, um, the autumn internationals. And I'm sure we're going to get some fireworks here when we, we talk about the results. So uh, Ollie and Dan, I'm going to go over to you. Um, we were playing whilst Wales were playing, um, mm. and I think that's probably a good thing because we didn't get to watch it. Yeah, well, I haven't actually watched the highlights yet because I haven't brought myself to uh, face that the uh, epiphany of what was Wales' performance and what I've heard. But yeah, I'm not planning on it to be honest. No, I don't think I've watched the highlights. Dan, you seen them? Yeah, I watched the game through. I thought maybe I'll see what went wrong. Um, I say yeah. I watched the highlights. I think I watched maybe all, all of one minute of highlights because there wasn't very. Oh many. no, it was quite a low-scoring game, and you you kind of fought against Georgia. Yeah, they're getting better as a team. Um, but I don't know what happened with Wales. It was a good start. But I think it was just the physicality. The Georgians are known for their strength. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I think it just overpowered us in the end. Um, Absolutely, yeah. I, th- I think it's been a long time, well, it's a long time coming. They lost to Italy in the summer, or the, yeah. the end of the Six Nations, okay? Then we've got this win now for Georgia. I think it's really put Wales and the WRU under the spotlight um, to really look at what their processes are. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think it's really interesting because... Um, 
one of my mates' uh, stepdads actually was speaking to uh, Ken Owens the other, um, the other week, uh, quite recently actually, and he, even he was saying, being a part of Wayne Pivak's team, that he that Wayne Pivak is just not hitting the mark for uh, managing Wales, and even he was expecting Wayne Pivak to resign after, really? after the loss. There's a, there's, a, there's a lot, and I'm not sure if many subscribe to Twitter, and but Pivak out was trending for a while yeah, on, um, on Saturday. Uh, and I know a lot of my uh, my friends we've been talking about about it and um, whether or not Scott Robinson will uh, be be in the wings to uh, to take over. He'd be a great um, a great kind of uh, replacement, I think, and uh, and really kind of get Wales moving forward. So yeah, disappointing, and I think it has really put that uh, that that kind of WIU and the processes with WIU under the spotlight. Other results? How did the other home nations get on? Um, England did well to be fair. Well, in the end. I thought it was going to be like the Wales game where New Zealand just went away with it again, but I guess I was wrong in the 70th minute. I think most of the English fans must have left by then, but England switched or turned it on and they came back to draw 25-25. It was a good game. Three tries in the last 10 minutes. Yeah, yeah. unbelievable. It's one of those things you don't really expect to happen. Jordi Barrett got yellow carded, didn't he? Yeah. And, uh, and then the floodgates opened and England's really switched it on and turned it on from that point. Um, yeah, a bit of a Freddie Stewart masterclass. Yeah, it was, it was, it was, and I th- also think as well, again, talking about selections and coaches, he's not picked his strongest side to start with. Again, I think he's, he meddles with a lot of his selection, um, Eddie Jones, and mm. when he made those changes, the, the game just changed as well. Um, Slade came on, uh, Stewart came on, and uh, it really kind of switched things up. Stewart started, I think. Did um, he start? Oh, what? I can't remember his name was. Scored two tries. Uh, prop. Will Stewart. Oh, Stewart. That's right, yeah. He, yeah. Scored, he, he, was, he was fantastic. Yeah, he was very good. Right, and then Scotland, how did they get on? Oh, they did well in the end, but I don't think the discipline from Argentina was great with the red card and the two yellows. Um, I think a lot of the lads were talking about it in house when it happened. I was talking about how some things in the ruck when you have to when you go in and hit it, you hit him with his shoulder. That one did look intentional, but we were talking about the Peter Stafter toy one the other day actually and how he has been banned, but you couldn't have done anything. It's very it. hard, isn't it? And we reckon it should have just been yellow. Yeah. It's really tricky as well because he's obviously got a ban now. Yeah. And uh, a good few games away. So I think I think they they really have to look whether or not the intent and that's the key bit is, yeah, is the intent done on purpose in shows the way. Yeah, I think it's it's tough because there's especially at the moment there's a real large inconsistency in how especially those type of collision collisions uh, being refereed. Like I know Brody Metallic uh, before the alternations had a uh, ban for an illegal clean out. Uh, and then in the Australia, one of the Australia games in the alternations was exactly the same clean out, and it was only a yellow card. So it's yeah, it's just quite frustrating enough for World Rugby to get the consistency right. But yeah, it's what you'd expect at that level, isn't it? Because you're kind of messing with a people's careers and also, uh, you know, the consistency of selection, etc. Yeah, we're back on a Scotland game. What a game by Finn Russell! Yeah, he wow, was very good. It's nice to see him back. I think. Absolutely, he wasn't involved two weeks ago. A bit of magic. He opens up the gates and finds spaces really. He so. has a very good knack of making uh, Greg Gregor Townsend look silly. Um, our Finn Russell does. I think he, uh, he quite enjoys he quite enjoys being the bad boy and then coming back and proving everyone wrong, which uh, I, I quite like as well. Which um, he did really well. And then Ireland they finished off their six nation uh, their autumn internationals with uh, a win against Australia and kind of cementing themselves as that number one team. Yeah, speaking on Ireland actually, uh, Josh Van der Fleer was named. Uh, 
was it uh, rug, World Rugby Player yeah, yeah. Men's Rugby Player of the Year, yeah. which is really impressive to be honest. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. deserving as well. Was I think, I think um, Johnny Sexton as well had, was awarded, uh, got an award. He was in uh, the World Men's Fifteen. Yeah, Kapuzu got um, um, breakthrough star. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So Ireland's in a really good place, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's yeah, they're, they're doing really well, and like, they could be really strong contenders for the um, World Cup title yeah. next year. France. Okay, right, so we'll move on and finally to next week's fixtures. Um, girls, what have you got coming up? Uh, well, we have uh, qualifiers on either Friday, so when this comes out, or on Monday. Mm-hmm. And then if we get through to that, we'll have the semis, probably Thursday, I think. And that's for the nationals? Yeah, this is for nationals. Yeah, and how do we get on nationals last year? Semis again, didn't we? We went uh, up to uh, Newtown. We lost in yeah. the semi-final to Grand Pass. Yeah. But they're out. They're, they're out. They got knocked out to Bray Morganoff for the first time in 12 years. What? Yeah. That's ludicrous. Yeah. Wow, yeah. so Bray Morganoff, where have they come? That's they're quite a strong team. Ooh, okay. So how, That's Bruma, what we've got. So yeah. Bray Morganoff didn't feature last year, however, in the final. No. So it's really close then. Yeah. It's going to be a hard game. Mm, it's going to be a absolutely. very good game. But good stuff. So... Where is the final play for the um, Newtown? Newtown. Is there a nice, nice picture there? No. <laughs> <laughs> Not a fan, you are. But there's, there's some kind of weird arrangement as well where you play in yeah. one place. We play like half an hour away from Newtown, and if you win that, then you go to. So you, you play a game, if you win that, you get on the bus, and then you go and play another game. Yeah, you play two games in the morning, and then two games in the afternoon. It's a busy day, then, isn't it? That's a big, yeah, full on day. day, for sure. So, semi final against Bromaganog. Uh, oh sorry, this yeah, Friday. This Friday is it uh, Callum Cymru or? I think we're playing the North Australian team. Okay, this yeah. Friday. Yeah. You win that and you get to go through to the semis, which is next week. Yeah. 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 And then our match after semis, if we get into it, will be Shandori Day. Brilliant. Going to be huge. That'd be big, so. so what day is that one then? Uh, Shandori Day is the ninth of December, Friday night nights. Brilliant. I think the whole school will get out and watch and, and support yeah, should be good. for that one. We're all looking forward to that match. Great. And then, lads, what have we got coming up? Yeah, well, on the top of Bro Morgano, we've got Bro Morgano as well in the league. Yeah. Uh, we were supposed to have them earlier this year, but they pulled out. First game of the season, I think yeah. we meant to have them, and they um, they called it off. So we'll have Bro Morgano next Wednesday. Yeah, that should really be a good, easy win for us, but you never know. You never know. You never know. No, absolutely. Don't know anymore. <laughs> no. And then, um, and then I think we've got Kings Worcester, big block against Kings Worcester yeah. um, as well, which will be Daily Mail yeah, Cup for the seniors. And the first game I'm back for, I think. So ah, nice. Should be nice. Do we, know, do we know what they're like? Um, they'll be decent. They'll yeah, they're in the Daily Mail, so yeah, the they'll be decent. They'll, they'll, come with, um, they'll come with a lot. And then that, that kind of good block fixture for all of our, our year groups through, so it's nice to, uh, to play against some big schools as well. Okay, and that kind of sums up week five of the quad and as I said earlier you can listen to this episode on Spotify now as well as tuning in onto the YouTube channel at school so so make sure you share it far and wide get lots of people to listen and, uh, and let us know what you think.